All right, this is Preacher Brandon, and we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew here in verses 18 through 25 of chapter 1 of this great gospel, considering the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, as we have Matthew's account of the birth of Christ, we've been introduced here to Joseph, the espoused husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. And we're seeing here the revelation of God's work in her to him. And we noticed, first of all, in verse 18, his discovery. It said, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. The word found there implies fright, fear, seizing, suddenness, uh, surprise. Uh, she'd been gone three months. She returned from her cousin Elizabeth with child, and her story was that she had conceived a child of the Holy Ghost. And uh, Joseph didn't believe that. Uh, and in verse 19, we find his decision based on that story and his assessment. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Here was a man who was just. This tells us of his standing before God. He'd been justified. The righteousness of God imputed unto him by faith. And we find that because he was just, because he had experienced mercy and forgiveness, he had determined that he would even demonstrate that to Mary. And so he would put her away privily, but put her away nonetheless. Then in verse 20, we began to see Joseph's dream. We saw in verse 20 the intervention of this dream. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. We see this intervention. He is minded to put her away privily. He's made up his mind. His decision is final. But as he thought upon this and fell off to sleep with it on his mind, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream and uh, confirmed the story of Mary unto him. There is that injunction in verse 20, saying, this angel spoke to him. And then there is the instruction that he received. That's what we've been looking at as we consider Joseph's dream. And this instruction, we saw first of all, he was instructed concerning nuptials. The scripture says there that the angel said to him, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So he was told to marry her. The story is confirmed. He's told not only to receive his spouse, but to raise her son. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. So he was instructed concerning nuptials. But then secondly, as we think about this instruction of Joseph's dream, he was instructed concerning a name. We noticed the privilege of this name extended. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Here in verse number 21, uh, the great privilege extended to Joseph as God's choice for the foster father of the Lord Jesus on this earth to give him the privilege of being the first to announce that wonderful name whereby we are saved, that only name given among men, whereby we must be saved, the privilege extended. But then we noticed, and this is where we are, as we think about this instruction concerning a name, not only the privilege of this name extended, 
but the purpose of this name explained. We looked at the definition of his name, Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. And now we're looking at the deliverance through his name. We mentioned there was a promised accomplishment here. He shall save his people from their sins. This was not one that would come and attempt something, but rather one who would accomplish something. Jesus isn't trying to save. He died that he might secure the salvation of his people. And then that people acquired, his people. We looked at, uh, we looked at that phrase last time. We saw in John 6, as this was illustrated, that God uh, gave to the Son a people to himself. And those people are now uh, those that come to him for salvation. We noticed that, uh, that great truth that bridges the gap between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But today I want to go a step farther in thinking about this deliverance through his name, not only the promised accomplishment and the people acquired, but I want us to notice the last verse, or the last phrase of verse 21, where it says, He shall save his people from their sins. From their sins. This is all important, especially in the day and hour in which we live. It seems that the work of Christ has been watered down and has been uh, tainted by man's thinking. And you would think that Jesus only came into this earth to be an example of neighborly love, uh, to be an example of what we ought to do and how we ought to treat others. You would think that he only came into this world that uh, he might help us to be better people. Uh, but that's not why he came. Uh, the scriptures are clear, especially here in this verse, that he came to save his people from their sins. Now, I would mention a few things concerning sin. First of all, sin, singular, is the source of all miseries before the fall, uh, uh, is the source of all miseries. Before the fall of man, we read in Genesis one thirty one, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God, upon the creation of all things, looked at that and said, It is very good. But then enters sin, and sin comes by the fall. And then we read in uh, Genesis 3 and verse 22 to 24, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Sin separated God and man. Sin became a barrier between Adam and and his God. And Adam, as the federal representative of the entirety of the human race, in his fall, we fell. In his sin, we sinned. His sinfulness, his sin nature, is now passed on to all of his offspring, which is all of humanity. And sin separated. So sin separates us from God. It is the source of all miseries. But then there is this phrase, he shall save his people from their sins, plural. Sins here points to sinful behavior. 
Sins are the result of the sin nature with which we are born. All are inherently evil with no propensity nor capacity for good. The word here is hamartia. It is the word that means to miss the mark. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The chief end of man, one catechism says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Humanity has fallen short of that in the fall of Adam and in sin. And now we have missed the mark. We have missed the goal for which we were created. Sin uh, is missing the mark. We have fallen short of the standard. The glory of God could be seen in his holiness, his utter perfection. And he is the standard, and we fall short of that standard. We miss the mark. Therefore, all are sinners. Now, not all sinners have reached the full potential of their sinfulness, but all have the same degree of depravity. And were it not for the restraining grace of God upon this world, everyone would be far worse than even a Hitler. And so sins, sin is a reality. Hear me today, listener. If you are without Christ, you are in your sins. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You have broken the holy commands of an eternal holy God. And therefore, you are worthy of death, worthy of judgment, worthy of wrath. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. A lifetime of sinfulness pays you the wage of death at its end. That's the bad news. Now you say, I'm not a sinner. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. That's not the standard. God is the standard. Jesus is the standard by which men shall be judged. And if you are not as holy, as righteous as Christ, then you are a sinner before God under his wrath this very day. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the good news follows. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ came to this earth, lived that sinless, perfect life that we could not live, met the holy standard of God, and then he died upon the cross, paying the sin debt of the world. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself. As a sinner, he hanged there and took God's judgment and God's wrath. And then he rose again the third day that all men may know that this was the Christ, the one that God had sent. It is through faith. It is through confession of him as Lord and belief of the truth. It is through repentance and faith that we are uh, received unto God and that that is appropriated unto us. And so the wages of sin is death. Listen to me today. Jesus did not come to be the figurehead of a political movement. He did not come to the earth to eradicate poverty and sickness. He did not come to befriend heathen in their sinful state and coddle them in the state in which he found them. In all that he did, every miracle, every meal, every message, he had but one goal in mind— and that was to save sinners from their sin. He came to save us from the penalty of sin. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Then he came to save us from the power of sin. And we are to reckon ourselves also dead indeed unto sin. 
but alive unto God. He says in Romans 6, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. He says in verse 14 of that chapter, For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. We're saved from the power of sin. Then we're saved from the pleasure of sin. We find in Hebrews 12 that when we're saved, we are chastened when we sin. That sucks the pleasure right out of sinful behavior. God chastening, convicting us by his spirit and calling us to repentance. And then finally, one day, we will be saved from the presence of sin. We're told of heaven that there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, as I close today, I would say this. If there is no evidence of salvation from the power and pleasure of sin in one's life, then there's no reason to believe that they have been saved from the penalty of sin. Furthermore, if one does not wish to break with sin now, there is no indication that they will be free from sin, from the presence of sin in eternity. How is it with you, dear listener? Have you been saved from the penalty, the power, the pleasure? And are you looking forward to salvation from the presence of sin Till next time, this has been Preacher Brandon. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Standing in the Gap. It is my desire that today's episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, my email is bcharrell83 at protonmail.com. That's bcharrell83 at protonmail.com. You can also reach me by phone at 828-777-4923. Tune in next time for Standing in the Gap.